the Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others is pleased to present the C4SO podcast, a place to celebrate the voices and values of C4SO. C4SO is a national diocese of the Anglican Church in North America, led by Bishop Todd Hunter. You can learn more about us at c4so.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the C4SO podcast. I'm your host, Ben Sternke, and I'm here again with Bishop Todd Hunter. How are you today, Todd? Ben, long time no say. It's been a week. One week. We have this weekly date. One exact week, yes. Weekly date uh, with the bishop um, where we get to chat uh, with folks, and we're going to chat with uh, Chris and Brad today as well, uh, which you probably saw in the, um, the title of this episode. Uh, but before we get to our interview today, um, dear listeners, I wanted to make sure that you were aware that C4SO is celebrating Black History Month through seeing together, praying together, and investing together. Um, I'm kind of excited about this stuff. Uh, seeing together is through the meditating on the art of Laura James, who does religious art. Um, she's at the forefront of a movement toward a more inclusive representation of biblical f- uh, figures. I checked out some of her artwork yesterday and it is gorgeous and beautiful. So on each Sunday during February, as well as Ash Wednesday, um, we're licensing one of her paintings or icons to illuminate one of the lectionary readings. And so we're providing questions and prompts for you to do visio divina or sacred reading um, through those images. So check those things out. We're also praying together um, through, we're featuring collects written by Cole Arthur Riley. Uh, from her Black Liturgies Project, um, who seeks to integrate concepts of dignity, lament, rage, justice, rest, and liberation with the practice of written prayer. So each week we will pray one of her collects uh, from her Black Liturgies Project together with our Black brothers and sisters. And then uh, we're also investing together uh, through opportunities to invest financially in Black-led churches. Two of our churches in our diocese are co-led by um, Black clergy as well as partnering with St. Mary of Bethany Parish in Nashville uh, with their Equitable Healing Reparations Initiative, which I'm really excited about. I think we're going to have Danny uh, come on the podcast uh, sometime this month to talk a little bit more about it. Uh, But that uh, initiative is seeking to take a repentant, embodied economic and and constructive steps to plant seeds of restoration for financial justice and mental health with individuals and systems predominantly uh, that have been dominated by uh, white people and that have um, hindered and wounded uh, people of color. So um, they're paying off uh, the student loans of a black of black therapists in Nashville. That's kind of how they're seeking to be part of that uh, project. So again, we'll have uh, more uh, on that, especially as we have Danny on the podcast and uh, encourage you to check out the link in the show notes, follow C4SO on social media to stay up to date. I'm really excited about this. Uh, Todd, I don't know if you want to say anything more about this. Before we move on to our interview, just hearing you recite those things makes me um, very happy. And of course, I was <laughs> in on the planning of them and yeah. uh, the approval of them. But just to hear them said all in one place uh, makes me really happy. I think that um, you know this is probably a lot to say with everything else going on with the political season and pandemic and economic, you know, crisis and mental health crisis and all that. But it may not be too much to say that uh, the issues of race are the most missional pregnant issues that I think we have today. Yes. So I'm pleased that we're paying attention to it. Yes, I am too. I'm really excited to see um, where it all goes. 
Um, all right. So today we continue uh, this new mini series we're doing from now up until Lent begins called Leaders Unplugged. We're just interviewing some leaders in our diocese um, that uh, either lead different geographical areas or aspects of the ministry of our diocese just to get to know them and to hear about some of the life of our diocese. And today we're talking about church planting and church development and church adoption with the very reverend Dr. Chris McDaniel, Canon for Church Development and Dang, the Reverend that's Doctor. Big shot stuff right there. Yeah, that's a lot of titles. I like to uh, <laughs> I like to get all the titles in there for you guys. And then we're also talking with uh, the Reverend Dr. Brad Swope, uh, who is the director of church planting uh, for the diocese. Chris and Brad, welcome to the C4SO podcast. It's good to be yeah, here. Thanks. Yeah. My only goal is to add Barry to my title. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's we we talked about that in one of the past podcasts, but that that is a uh, an illustrious uh, title to get to get the very, um, and then the right, and you know those all kinds of other ones. So, the most, the most reverend. That's right. That's the Archbishop. Um, well, just uh, to give uh, our listeners a little bit of a sense of who you are, uh, besides those job titles uh, and those uh, letters before your name, um, introduce yourself uh, to us a bit, Brad. Maybe we'll start with you. Uh, my claim to fame is that I was an intern at Bishop Todd's Church in Virginia Beach 28 years ago. Like in the Dark Ages wow. when dinosaurs were incredible. Yeah, oh, I think man. there were dinosaurs yeah. back then. And That's then great. I was one of a flock of about 75 church planters that went out under his, um, when he was a, the national director of the vineyard. So oh, yeah. and I was a part of a cohort of folks who got to hang with him and, Dallas and other interesting people on weekends. Uh, so very good. We, we go back a bit, and then I good. planted a church about 21 years ago uh, in Roseville, California. And you're still there, still pastoring there. that church. Yep. Yeah. What's the name of the church? It's Horizon Church of Roseville. Horizon Church of Roseville. Very good. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Brad. Chris, how about you? I'm a pastor, senior pastor at Trinity Anglican in Atlanta, Georgia, and. Um, planted that church in October of 2002. So it's been a few years, not quite as long as Brad's been at it, but getting there. <laughs> and I have been in C4SO for now uh, a long time and hmm. glad to serve and work in our diocese. And I also, um, alongside Brad, we we do some work for Todd in the diocese on the stuff we're going to be discussing today. So that's yeah. my context in Atlanta. Very good. Thanks, guys. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about that. Um, maybe we'll start with church planting and go back to you, Brad. Um, maybe this seems like a rudimentary question, but uh, why focus on church planting? Um, why is this a big deal for C4SO? I mean, I to me, it's it's the ahistoric model of the kingdom outbreaking everywhere. There's never a time where you don't see church planting as a vibrant way that the kingdom breaks out in the world. Hmm forming new worshiping communities. It works in every age and every culture. Something about the Spirit of God working through the church to do something new. Mm. And when you do it, it's dynamic. It's stirring. You see things. You see, like, front lines, acts works. Mm. Uh, not that you can't see that in, you know, church life when you've been around a bit, but there's something really dynamic about those first three, four, five years and the excitement and the risk and the kind of the faith that seems to be built early, early. Uh, that's That was my experience. I, I can see Chris is shaking his head. That's his experience, <laughs> I bet. Yeah. There's something really dynamic about it. And um, I don't know, taking a risk for the kingdom. And it, it is a risk, right? You risk a lot as a church planter. But when you see God 
do it, it's also reinforcing to your own faith to see yeah. how big God is. Yeah. Amen. What would you add to that, Chris? Anything? I, I think I would just simply say that yes and amen. Uh, for mm-hmm. me personally, you know, I, I forgot who said it, Todd, you probably would remember, but the church is always one generation away from extinction. And yeah. without the work of church planting, we have no future. And mm. I'm a church planter myself. That's what I studied uh, doing doctoral work at Asbury Seminary. But more importantly than the education or the academic work or the thought work, this is just where the kingdom of God is most clearly advanced, I think. And in a diocese like ours, frankly, one of the reasons why I'm so resonant with our values in C4SO is that in addition to our more classically understood Anglican values, we have a value of mission. And God is a God who is on mission. And I think church planting is at the very heart of that. It's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, when, uh, sorry, Ben, when I hear Brad... No, I tell that story and just the feeling of, you know, when he was talking about uh, newness, uh, freshness, I think Brad used the word newness. What I really love about that, Brad, is if you think about starting a church, you can think about like a group of people worshiping or the worship team or children's Mm -hmm. ministry or whatever, or the liturgy or uh, uh, Eucharist, whatever, and that's all totally fine. But what I love about planting new churches is it means some new vision or some new DNA is getting started in the world. Yes. And, you know, I've, you know, I've known hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of church planters over 45 years, and they're all slightly different. It's to your mm. point, Brad. There's mm. some little wrinkle they've heard from the spirit. There's some angle um, that they're passionate about. And that's what I really love is the expression of new DNA and new vision in the world. Mm. And they're not repeatable. So like, it's yeah. just a one-off. It's a special, it's like, uh, I mean, Special snowflake, right? That's not that they're, they're each different. Yeah. the word snowflake here. Uh, yeah, really. Just, just they're the, really beautiful. I don't know why it's a bad word. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking about the, the ten church planners in our diocese. So very different, yeah. and yeah. each in their own context, and each working it out in yeah. so different ways, and, yeah. and then beautifully sharing with one another, and then iron sharpening iron. But there's no, I can do this and just take it from Chicago to yeah. Wichita. It's it's a completely different thing. So. Yeah. And that's a great point. I think sometimes when we hear church planning and sometimes the way you see it done is it does look a little bit more like a franchise right? Mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, I'm one of those kinds of things with that name and that logo and that preacher Mm -hmm. that's going to come here, you know, in this form, you know, that kind of thing. And and you get all the, you know, the associations with a franchise. Well, I I go to a Starbucks, I can expect a, you know, a fairly uh, consistent experience. Um, But that's not how we're, that's not how we're, uh, church planting in C4SO. So how, how does it work in C4SO? Mm-hmm. You mentioned 10 church planters. Um, how, how, you know, are they in various stages, their various locations, and they're all kind of discerning this stuff, um, uh, individually, as you said, or not individually, but they're discerning it for their own context. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'll just say one of the things that we try to put, uh, and encourage in all of our church planters is that you exist really, um, for the sake of the world and specifically for the unchurched. Now that's a range of people, mm-hmm. but we're not really trying to uh, go and reshuffle Christians from other traditions or churches into our churches. Mm-hmm. So like when I went and planted, I remember the charge that Todd gave me and we really did not try to program for Christians. We tried to really reach and know our neighbors. So most of our meetings were in Starbucks and out in public space. And I remember the first of the first hundred adults that we had, 85 of them when we met them were not in a church. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, and to, to me, that was a sign of, 
I, that's what a church plant really is. Now, mm. you'll need other Christians along the way, and God will give you other Christians pioneer stock and scaffolding to help you do the work. But the really the goal is to go find in your context, like who is the spirit already or at work yeah. at, right? Yeah. And so yeah. like I think about Kim Kimberly and Andrew and Phoenix and they're dealing with inner city Phoenix and immigration issues and um, yeah. like that's a completely different context than let's say Wichita uh, uh, yeah. or Austin Beckton in Nashville, like they're going to have yeah. their own, and they're going to be in their own neighborhoods, and yeah. they're going to have their own set of people that have their own yeah. access. Like we always mm. say at our church, listen, I I have my little circle, my sphere of influence, mm. but if you now multiply, there's now 10, 15 people in the core group, they have their own sphere of influence. That's going to be utterly unique as to who God now is reaching in that context. And now as they gather, mm. Yeah. The fingerprints of the spirit weaving together this gift mix is going to be utterly mm. unique as well. So uh, each one of ours is different. Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's I think that's great. Um, what? Uh, I'm to figure out how to um, ask this question. Maybe I can direct it at you, Chris. The um, just from your own experience of planting a church. Um, as, as what, if we're not bringing a franchise model where it's like, you know, you know, you're doing it right. If you've got the hundred point checklist and at the end of the day, you raise enough money and the logo looks right <laughs> and your worship service, you know, goes well and you got a hundred people like, boom, you're done. What, if we're not doing it that way, like what are the markers that we're looking for? How do we know if we go into an area, how do we know if the spirit is at work? How do we know? Um, what, what is it that we're looking for as we, cause we're obviously not just seeking to gather people to gather right. people, right? You right. know, there's, this is a Christian, there's, you know, uh, there's some tradition here that we're bringing forward. The yep. gospel is something that we're bringing into this situation. So what, what is it that, um, what is it that we're looking for? How would we know if God is at work, uh, in a people? Well, I think the, you know, one of the reasons why I think Anglican, a treasure that we steward is actually uniquely positioned to be a part of this conversation regarding church planting are those beautiful Elizabethan values of context and vernacular that live mm. at the very heart of what it means to be an Anglican. I mean, if you go back into the English Reformation, we took uh, the mass out of Latin and put it in the language that a seven-year-old illiterate plowboy could understand. And right. the great book chained in the front of every English parochial hall was, was an English Bible. Yeah. Uh, and I actually, it's one of the reasons why I'm so uh, deeply committed to Anglican church planting is that I believe that Anglicanism invites us to pay attention to and exegete our context and then create missional uh, identification moments that are actually um, aligned with our context. I once heard somebody say regarding church planting, it's not that Christians don't have answers. It's that we don't have answers to questions people in our neighborhoods are asking. Yeah. And so we have a different set of answers. Yeah. And yeah. when I think about contextual ministry, you know, my mind goes to Leslie Newbigin's exhortation as a missiologist that we would engage in a costly identification. Hmm. And, you know, we're, so we're calling people, I think actually to be an Anglican church planter is to know your context and identify with it in a way that costs you something. And so what that means is you can have a perfect liturgy, but if you don't bother to know your your area and your, your neighborhood and actually have answers to questions mm -hmm. that, they're, that are actually being asked. I mean, that's one of the things that Kimberly and Andrew are so inspiring to me because they actually are starting to get at what it, what the people around them need to need to know. Yes. And in some ways I think there's been 
an ecclesial like laziness where we just mm. don't ever get beneath the surface. But we're seeing more and more church planters and frankly, church leaders who are wanting to actually know what's going on around them. And and as a guy who planted my church in, in 2002, so we're you know coming up on 19 years, it took us a long time to get beneath the surface and actually begin to understand hmm. our community. We thought we knew, and then there was like a whole nother <laughs> layer of getting to it. So it takes some time. Wow. Yeah. Hey, everybody, welcome again to C4SO's Cycle of Prayer Spotlight, where we highlight the specific ministry we're praying for this week in our diocesan cycle of prayer. And this week we are praying for La Misión de San Lucas, otherwise known as the Mission of St. Luke yeah. in Kansas City, Kansas, which is led by the Reverend Gene Flannery. And he's joined us today to share briefly about what's going on right now in their congregation and how we can pr pray uh, specifically for them. Gene, welcome to the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that, Ben. And it's a, a pleasure and joy to be here with you. Yes, very good. This is a Spanish-speaking congregation. It is. Yes. The, okay. the, we, we, we tell everybody it's the only Spanish-speaking Anglican congregation between Chicago and Dallas. You know, right is on it, them. Is that true? That, wow. it is, it's That's very incredible. true. There's just That's there's incredible. just nothing else out there. So, um, okay. but, I love uh, it. Well, wonderful. I'm glad you could join us. Um, tell us uh, something that you're encouraged by right now. Well, I, I'm a new family has found their way into our church, and it's just uh, a blessing during this time of the the pandemic. You know, because you wonderful. think there's just yeah. there's just little action going on. But uh, they've been attending with us for almost two months now, and um, we were already um, a trans, you know, na national, uh, you know, group. So, but they just added one more country to us. So now we have a new, <laughs> okay. a new Cuban family that Wonderful. will join join our hun two Honduran families and Mexican and U.S. Uh, families. So it's kind of fun. So we're really excited about that's you know, what they bring. Yeah, anytime well, that happens. During a pandemic, that's wonderful. Oh, yeah, yeah, you can rejoice in <laughs> yes. that for sure. <laughs> yeah. How about a uh, challenge that you guys are facing right now? Oh, just like everyone else, the pandemic just kind of just is over. Yeah. We did, we have kind of put us since early, right before Thanksgiving, we kind of shut down all our outreach activities. Okay. And uh, so those included, you know, our ESL that we do for adults or uh, after school tutoring mm -hmm. we did, didn't have our soccer camp that we usually have for underprivileged children during this the summer okay. um i guess the the good part of it is we've been able to give more benevolence last year than <laughs> than mm -hmm. uh, ever before so that that's that side is good but the challenge is this because the latino community um proportionally is more susceptible to the um, because of close living quarters and how the, how they live, um, to the to the COVID, that yeah. it's just a little bit harder to gather them. And okay, so all right. Well, in light of all this, how can we pray for you and for La Mission? Okay, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, just that. Of course, we'll be able to integrate the new family that's come in because now we've kind of brought in a, a new culture. You know, family mm -hmm. that grew up under communism and and uh, now they're here with us and and it's just uh, it's good it's going to be exciting for us. They're musicians, so mm -hmm. so that we just as a church could come together and be prepared. Um, you know, when we kind of come out, we're hoping when all the 
the vaccines really start happening and we can kind of open up some more of our outreaches that we'll be prepared to receive them mm -hmm. and um, just that we'll be able to, you know, you know, reach them with the love of Christ and be, be ready to, with arms open. Okay. So. Well, very good. Um, thanks for joining us today, Gene. Um, yes. Listeners, if you guys would like to find out more about the mission of St. Luke or to contribute to their work, check out the link in the show notes. So even within Atlanta, have you found in your daughter churches that there's context, like subcontexts oh that they need to pay attention to? Our churches are completely different. And then yeah. we planted Redeemer as well, which is led by pastors Leon and Drew, right. and that's an inner city church. And so when you look at the last three church plants out of Trinity, they could not be more distinct from one another. Hmm. And so a one-size-fits-all model just makes no sense. So what we do is yeah. say, what does costly identification look like in your area? And yeah. I think that's actually a very Anglican thing to say to people. Yeah. This We didn't really give a, I, I think a, we haven't quite got to your question yet, Ben, but <laughs> what, so without talking about numbers or development, I think when I think back, effective churches, if there was like a Venn diagram with three circles, I think effective churches are those who, take serious their context, as Chris just said. They have a really spirit-given, unique vision or set of DNA, as Brad said. And then you have the person, him, her, him or herself, the planter, mm -hmm. with his or her own gift mix and temperament and background. I think mm -hmm. when all those things come together, we used to say back in the day, right guy, sorry, ladies, you know, right guy, <laughs> right place, right time. <laughs> Um, it was back in the day. That was back in the day. Um, <laughs> but there's something about that where somebody has a passion and like a, um, some of this can be professional or something, but most church planners I know have like an intuitive gut, passionate exegesis of their context as Chris yeah. said. The yeah. ones who don't typically don't, they don't make, make it. it. Yeah. Um, now it, that can be thoughtful, but it usually starts out passionate. And then you've got this passionate vision or DNA, this set of practices or values or priorities that you want to see come in public, you know, or be birthed in public. And then you've got the person himself. When you put all those things together, and I guess what I would say to answer your question a little more carefully would be to say that I'm just always looking for momentum. To me, momentum is always more important than the score. Yeah. Mm. Like you can turn on a football game and it's 27-17 uh, or 27-20, let's say. Oh, okay, third quarter, you know, pretty fourth, being in the fourth quarter. Okay, maybe an interesting game. Well, it would be way more important to know that it used to be 27 to nothing. Mm -hmm. And then another team just scored 21 unanswered points. And it's like <laughs> a whole different game. So yeah. the thing that I always thought was the gold of church planning in terms of measurements was momentum. And sometimes that's attached to numbers, but sometimes it's attached to uptake of the vision, uptake of the DNA, uptake yeah. to the vision and values, um, people being able to um, say it for you. Wimber used to always tell me, Todd, you know you've done it when you hear others teaching your set of values and vision mm -hmm. and DNA. Mm -hmm. He said that's that was like the holy grail of sort of the momentum in church planning when other people yeah. are excitedly telling your story yes. for you. Amen. And, you know, Chris and I have talked some about numbers and stuff, but that mostly has to do with sustainability. Right. I think spiritually we're looking more for momentum. I don't yeah. know, Brad, how would you say that? No, and I would, I would agree completely, but I would also just echo your, 
the person himself has such an imprint on the church plant. So I'm thinking about Adam Jones in West Seattle mm-hmm. and him sharing a story with me before the pandemic about how he met the stage manager of a grunge band and uh, was asking questions of faith and was opening doors and mm-hmm. how he goes, you know, kind of bar hopping to talk about his church plant. And it's like, that's a completely, that's completely unique to a guy that used to tour as a drummer, right? There's nobody else that can do that work except for that guy because he knows yeah. those people and he loves yeah. those people and he can talk their language. And now yeah. he's in those places um, having yeah. rich conversations about faith with those folks. And I just, I just, it melts the heart to think about how God has uniquely placed him in that situation to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm just impressed. He still knows where to find grunge bands. <laughs> it's Seattle. Come yeah, on, now it's oldies. It's oldies. Was it an oldie? Was it a like a like a Nirvana cover band or something? Soundgarden. Sound Soundgarden. I think it might have been Sound. I think it might have been Soundgarden. I'm actually. Soundgarden. Are they still playing? Yes. That's amazing. Oh well, wonderful, Chris. You get the gold star for the podcast episode. That's wonderful. No, I, d- I do want to highlight what we're saying here, which I, I think is um, is worth noting that you guys, I hear you describing uh, implanting the process of joining with the context of sort of this cost of identification, as you said, Chris, this communion that we enter into with the people in the context that creates something that nobody anticipated, you know, it, it, and so I think there's a humility there that's required of church planners who want to do it this way, that a willingness not to know the end from the beginning, That's a willingness it. to say, my, I have some ideas, but this is, needs to be shaped by my communion with these people, Amen. my Amen. intimacy with this context. Um, and, I, and I think, Ben, on that front, one of the things that we are trying to undermine is the notion of the Lone Ranger parachute planter. Yes, yes. And, and I think Brad and I both would bear witness to the fact that it's— um, it's a lot harder to plant a church as a heroic drop behind the enemy lines and do it all by yourself. And yet for many church planters, that's the only imagination that they have for what a plant would look like. Right. So one of the things that we're trying to do in terms, and this is more like Todd to use your, your term movemental uh, to shape the culture is to really stir up churches in our diocese to have an imagination, whether they're big churches or small churches to be mother church plants, to be sending generative. I mean, one of our favorite words around here is generative kingdom living. Mm -hmm. And I think a big part of that is our hope is that if we do this right as a diocese, there won't be any more parachute church planners because people will be given so much support that they're doing this with teams because we Mm -hmm. we shouldn't have to do this work by ourselves. To your point, a part of exegeting your community is to plant in community with team. Yeah. Yeah. And we're trying to introduce some new language to all of our churches about something called residency, and that can mean a lot to different people, but how can you, out of your church, now form an imagination for planting such that you identify potential planters, take them through some process um, so that at some point your church is yielding a daughter um, church and that they they go out with support and they go out with vision. I mean, to to parachute drop, there's there's such a high level of risk and... There's a, a there's a skill set that's really unique to a parachute drop that, mm-hmm. that need not be right. Yeah. In some ways, you you can make this simpler if you take them out, 
give some training and then send them out with the team and some resources. Doesn't have to be a lot because I'm thinking about Kevin's church in Chicago's and at Sandy Richter. They're yeah. not a church of more than 150, and they've already had a residency and sent out a church plan. Yes. Well, if he could do it, then every church can do it. Yeah. Now we have to just have an imagination for, like, of all the things that we're called to do as churches, hmm. one of the significant things is to think about multiplication. Hmm. Yes. And I'll tell you, if we do that as a diocese, it will take on its own life, right? So, hmm. like, if every church has this imagination for church planning, uh, essentially, Todd's going to have to hire more people to kind of oversee all this stuff because it's going to be, uh, it'll be wonderfully out of control. This is movement <laughs> language, right? And I'm not saying we're yeah. trying to start a new movement, but like just think about a wave of church planting through C4SA across all the places that we're at. Yeah. Well, that's that. I'm I'm ready to buy into that vision. Like, yeah. I want to yeah. I want to be a part of something like that. Yes. Amen. Um. Let's shift gears. Uh, we want to talk not just about church planting, but also about um, the other uh, process here is church adoption, uh, just to speak about. Um, and uh, maybe that falls under your your title, Chris, is the uh, um, you're the canon for church development. And maybe the whole thing kind of goes under that. But what is <laughs> what do you do? What does a canon for church development do? How do you work together with um, with church planting? And then maybe give us an overview of what do we mean by church adoption and yeah. uh, some examples of that? Yeah, that, that's a good question and, and one that I think we're constantly answering together, yeah. Todd, Todd yeah. and I are. Um, I think the short short description of my job description, I guess, or would be I want to make Todd's life easier and, and make our, our diocese be uh, actionably living into what he says he wants it to be. And mm. so okay. the way that that works for me when it comes to church development is walking alongside Brad when it comes to his leadership with church planting early okay. on before Brad came on the team, I was doing church planting the whole process. Um, yeah. And now Brad does that work and mm -hmm. I oversee him, but we partner together and Brad's doing just an amazing job. When it comes to church adoption, um, I want to just be really clear about this. C4SO, we are not a recruiting agency. Uh, that's just not our heart. <laughs> yeah, um, but, yeah. but the short sort of shorthand for adoption are churches in either other dioceses or other denominational spaces that are curious about Anglicanism and C4SO in particular. Yeah. And because we're not a recruiting agency, um, my job is to walk alongside those curious people. We never recruit them. They come to us. Mm -hmm. And my job is to discern with them around our values, our culture, to really discern, are they, are they one, are they us? Are they right. aligned to our, right. our values and culture? And are they Anglican? Mm -hmm. And we, we say no to more churches than we say yes to. Um, mm -hmm. We really want to do this uh, in a manner that's consistent and, and will amplify our vision as a diocese. So I talk to church leaders all the time who are in varying stages, similar to Brad, where he's got 10 church planters. It, at any given moment, I've probably got 10 churches that are kind of swimming around our boat. And most of them don't make it into the boat because mm -hmm. we want the ones that do to actually be a value add. And we actually want to be an add to them. We want to support right. them. So yeah. like, you know, it's, it's an exciting yep. process and I think it's some really cool stuff happening yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. And I see that. I mean, just to bring that back to church development, um, that language, I see that as part of, part of what you described as church development, where, mm -hmm. uh, the development of the, of our churches is development along the lines of 
vision, values. So there's this alignment. It isn't just a loosely organized group of churches that happen to relate to Todd as a bishop. There is an actual sense of, no, there's a culture to these kinds of churches. And that's a really important thing for us to maintain and to bring in, you know, um, so if churches are going to come in, we need to know that that's a good fit. Amen. And another aspect of development is leadership development. And that's something that Todd is directing uh, a conversation right now that's in process around how we as a diocese are going to do leadership development. And um, while we can't give you tons of concrete stuff there now, I think we will be able to do that before too long, because one of the things I love about our diocese and frankly love about Todd is a heart not just to put resources out there, but to actually create pathways for development for clergy Mm. um, and for influencers in our diocese. Um, One of the things that I think we're all witnessing is that C4SO, there's a real sense of kingdom momentum going with our diocese right now. And I, for one, am very inspired in my role to do what I can to support Todd to see that be stewarded wisely and well. And Mm. so we're having conversations around um, what do we do to actually help the internal life of a leader um, be maintained? How do we give resources on, like Todd's got an upcoming clergy hours on financial responsibility for churches during COVID. We, we just wanna be the kind of diocese where we're equipping people, putting tools in their toolbox so that yeah. we can do our jobs better, but also so that we can flourish in the Lord. Cause if we're not flourishing, mm-hmm. then, all the work we do is just going to kind of have the shelf life, a shorter shelf life, a weaker shelf life than we want it to. Yeah. Great. Well, uh, before we wrap up here, um, Bishop Todd, I want to give you a chance to do something I know you like to do, which is to kind of brag on, uh, the people that you work with, mm-hmm. uh, and to highlight, but what was, what was it about Chris and Brad, um, that made you think they'd be a, a good, good candidates for these jobs? Yeah. Well, we, we both go back a long time, um, Brad and I more personally, uh, Chris and I less personally. Um, and this is just an irony. It wasn't something any of the three of us planned out, but we all three have vineyard backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and all were, you know, one way or another on the Canterbury Trail. Yeah. So when I think of Chris, I just always think of his absolutely innate, um, intuitive understanding of our DNA. You know, sometimes it's called three streams or whatever. I don't, I'm not against that language. I don't particularly love it, but you know, the, uh, I guess the charismatic, the evangelical, the liturgical sacramental. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, and I know the way uh, Chris has lived that out in Trinity. Um, You know, as he said, he's got a long um, experience in church leadership, Mm -hmm. but because he happens to have had a big church, um, he's lived through all the you know, he's lived through the crunch of 12 people in a living room and 30 mm-hmm. people in two small groups and 75 people in their first public <laughs> meeting, the 200 yeah. barrier, yeah. the, you know, 500 to 1200, 2000, you know, he's just got so much um, experience with uh, all that aspect. And that means, you know, a lot of experience in leading um, other clergy and leading staff. Mm-hmm. And then I don't, I don't know, Chris, it doesn't really matter, but also planted several churches. I don't know how many exactly, but you know, a handful of churches, uh, let's say out of Trinity. So just bringing that voice married to an intuitive grasp of our values is just super helpful. Um, especially as he says, as he's doing, I mean, it was helpful with the church planning, no doubt, but it almost feels more helpful mm-hmm. in the adoptions because like Chris said, we have to be so careful. It's one of the mm-hmm. things we saw in the vineyard again, back in the day is that people would get all excited about John 
They'd yeah. get all excited about hearing about the personal work of the Spirit for the first time. And, yeah. you know, maybe they were Southern Baptists or Presbyterians or Lutherans, whatever, and wanted to join the vineyard. And it just almost never really worked out well. <laughs> the, yeah. It, yeah. It, you know, they would they would inadvertently change our DNA. Their congregations really weren't with it. Maybe the pastor was, but the congregation wasn't. Hmm. So, you know, Chris knows how to how to work all that that stuff through it. And I think with Brad, um, besides his long connection to me, was that Brad is kind of a rare mix of being thoughtful about these things and well-read, you know, in the body of literature with church planning and church leadership and stuff, but also has been a, a practitioner in working with uh, planters his whole life. And and that's something very special. I think it's a part of, like, I'd bet, I'd bet one of my last dollars that as we start trying to run out this residency program, I think some of the just human resistance we're going to find is a lot of pastors feeling like they can't do it. Hmm. Like, I don't know how to replicate myself or Hmm. I didn't, I was never a planter. I got hired into this job. And the good thing about Brad is he, again, he knew it from soup to nuts, as they say, and is able to, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that the the three of us are going to be able to help give our current rectors a vision for being able to do it. And some confidence that even if you didn't, plant a church, there's a lot resident within, mm-hmm. a lot of knowledge, a lot of wisdom Amen. that just needs to be kind of pulled sure. out. And sometimes yeah. just having a resident asking questions pulls pulls it out of you. Yeah, and just um, help I mean, them see they don't have to be expert, that there's expertise yeah. around yes. them, that, yes. that there are other things they can add to the success of a church plant mm. besides precise church planning expertise. Right. And if we can yeah. show it's them good. that and then surround them with the kind of expertise that Brad and others have, good. then hopefully we can get that movement going that Chris was talking about. Yeah, that's great. Well, Chris, Brad, I hope that uh, that encourages you. Um, it's always good to hear your bishop say good things about you, right? So, <laughs> it is. Um, <laughs> Thanks, How Tom. about uh, one last question for each of you, short, uh, briefly, before we go. Um, as you think about 2021, uh, we're just getting started here, but what are you looking forward to or hoping for or praying for um, in just any area of your life? What's something that's, that you're looking forward to in 2021? Brad. You go first. Uh, I want to become the kind of word, a person who can use the word Elizabethan in a sentence yep. and do it wisely. We can all we can all strive that's, for that's this. That's a big goal of mine for this year. I <laughs> know. Uh, I, I when I think about our work, I do really think that we want to really support well the ten eleven church plants. We want to now. There's a, a six or seven. There's somewhere in the process. We want to see them. Uh, go through the entire healthy process and be launched. But we do really want to create an imagination. Uh, like, I really want people to start thinking about how can we do it here? Amen. Uh, that, yeah. to me, will be a really good sign, a healthy sign. It's not like that everyone's going to do it the next day. But if they just start dreaming about it this year, hmm. uh, asking the question, I think that will be a, a, a kind of a kingdom win. Amen. Awesome. I would I would say that I, I hope as we come out of this pandemic that um, churches will have an imagination for not just survival, but for kingdom advancement through church planting and mentoring and developing leaders. And my prayer for my own church and my own spirit, as well as for the churches in our diocese, is that we would be known as the kind of people who emphatically reject a scarcity mindset. Mm. Um, Like Todd, who would quote Dallas Willard says, we are entirely and perfectly safe in God's kingdom when we are with Jesus. And y'all, we're going to get to live out whether we really believe that or not. I think as we come through the months ahead, 
will we be open-handed or closed-fisted? And my hope is that we'll all be, including myself, that we'll be open-handed. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, Chris and Brad. It was great great to have you. you. Thanks for sharing all that you shared. Um, If you, listener, would like information about church planting or church adoption or residency or all that kind of stuff, we'll put some links in the show notes um, for you to be able to reach out to Chris or Brad uh, about uh, either of those things. And we will catch you next time. We'll have you back on once we've figured out what we're doing for leadership development. How about that? Sounds like a plan. (laughs) All right. again for listening to this episode of the C4SO podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. Email us your thoughts and suggestions at connect at c4so.org.